One of my favorite gospel passages, as a deacon, I get the blessing of being with families for funeral vigils and gravesides. And when you go through the options for that rite, there's obviously many readings, but this is one, the gospel that you've just heard in any of its forms is one of my go-to for that particular setting. Why? Because it deals with the resurrection And when a family is going through the loss of a loved one, it is particularly hopeful and inspiring to have that family be reminded that in fact we're called to this life because we're going to have a resurrection in the next. I read the shorter form of the gospel. There's actually a longer form if you thought that one was long. It's a beautiful, beautiful scripture. There's two things in particular that I'd love to reflect on with you this morning. Number one, our life with Christ is not somewhere out there on the horizon. Our opportunity for resurrection is not some yet-to-be thing, but is actually something that can be realized today in the here and now. It is right now that we can experience that life of Christ. And Jesus proves this with the story of Lazarus. Did you not find it interesting that the scripture says Jesus loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus? And what does it say right after that? And so when he heard that he was deathly ill, he waited two days before he left where he was. He was at Bethany. The distance from Bethany to Judea is about two miles. Any one of us walking a two-mile distance would get there even if we did it just very slowly. We'd be there in about an hour. So he's an hour away from someone that Scripture says he loved dearly, and he finds out that he's deathly ill, and he waits two days to go visit him. I find that very curious. One could even be tempted to say, like Martha and Mary, in the longer form of the gospel, we hear from both of them. They both say the same thing. If you were here, he wouldn't have died to begin with. But Jesus gives us the answer as to why he waited. He says, the illness that Lazarus has is not to end in death, but it's for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Recall last week, In the gospel on Sunday, we heard about the the man born blind, and the disciples asked him, why was this guy born blind? Is it something he did, or is it something his parents did? And Jesus says, neither one. It's so God's glory can be made manifest, and then he proceeds to heal him. Well, it doesn't take a tremendous intellect to figure out if the man wasn't born blind, there would have been nothing to heal. And many came to believe as a result. Here is something very similar. But Jesus adds that additional touch where he says, not only is it for the glory of God to be made manifest, but that the Son of God can be glorified through it, pointing himself to his own divinity and asking those around him to have faith and trust in that. It proves to us that God is always here and now among us, ready to act on our behalf at all times. And we have to live that spirit of resurrection every single moment of every day. I remarked recently with somebody that the Lord's Prayer, which we say almost automatically, right? Our Father who art in heaven, 
There's an interesting part in, the, in that prayer. There's many interesting parts, but one of them that I was thinking was really interesting was the fact that it says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, why wouldn't have Jesus just said, give us our daily bread? Or give us this day our bread. No, give us this day our daily bread. In Spanish, it's exactly the same thing. Danos hoy nuestro pan de cada día. In every language, in Latin, in French, it's the same thing. Give us today what we need for today. He's pointing us to the fact that that's where he is in this present moment. And that is where his resurrection is. His resurrection is available to us right now. Obviously, we have an opportunity to experience it in the fullness of its purpose when we come to pass on. But today is an opportunity for us to experience that resurrection. The second thing to reflect on, in order to be resurrected, well, you have to die first. There's nothing that's resurrected that hasn't died first. So we have this opportunity to experience, let's call them little deaths. What are they? They're inconveniences, they're difficulties, money troubles, challenges at work, challenges with family, challenges with neighbors, physical ailments. Every one of us has experienced some version of those and maybe all of them together. Each of those, each of those is an opportunity for us to recognize that God's glory can be made manifest. But God's timing is not our timing. How many times does it feel like Jesus is delaying a couple days before he answers that prayer? Certainly has been the case for me. St. Paul's second reading really brings home this idea of these little deaths because he says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If we're in the flesh, we can't please God. But if the Spirit of Christ is in us, although the body may be dead because of some evil, nevertheless, we're alive because of that righteousness that God gives us. We're in the flesh, as St. Paul says it, when that little death, that little inconvenience or that difficulty, even if it's great or if it's small, when that little death actually kills us, that's when we're in the flesh, when we're fixated on the things of this world, when we don't approach a vulnerable person, a person in need because we let our fears get in the way. How many of us has done that? when we pick position or power or prosperity over humility, over living the truth of who we were made to be. When we give the very best that we have, the most time, the most energy, the most enthusiasm to the things of this world rather than to God. And what are those things that God asks us to give him? Love him, love each other, Instead, my brothers and sisters, we should not give up or let up or slow up until we've stayed up and prayed up and spoken up for the cause of Christ because we're disciples of Jesus. We're Catholics. It's the reason why when we walk up to receive communion, we say amen. That's not just some perfunctory thing that's written in a book. We're saying, yes, I believe that this is 
the real body, blood, soul, and divinity of the crucified Lord who gave us our life and then came and died for our sins. That's what that amen means. You know, just this week, two days ago, there was a Eucharistic miracle in Connecticut. I don't know if you've heard of it, but when you get home, Google it. Very, the, one of the pastors at a parish there had an injured hand. And so it wasn't appropriate because it was bandaged up for him to go and give communion at the time of communion. So one of the extraordinary ministers of, of communion came up and took the wrong ciborium, the one that was for the choir or for somebody in the back. So it had very few hosts in it. And the priest was kind of panicking from the sanctuary saying, they're, they're going to run out in two seconds. They're not going to know what to do. And that person, that EM, was giving communion out to the congregation, about 200 people. And the EM kept looking down at the ciborium and just kept handing communion hosts out. When that extraordinary minister came back to the altar, the ciborium had more hosts in it than when he left. But why should we be surprised by that? Why would, she, why would we be surprised by that? That God that can raise people from the dead can, of course, become present in communion at the altar at the words of consecration of one of his priests. We should not be surprised. This is our last full week before we enter the gates of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And we have a chance to live out, live out that death that resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, particularly as we head into that period of time, that God will give us the wisdom to recognize the importance of his resurrection, not just our ultimate resurrection, but the chance that we have right now to, to participate in that resurrection today.